Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society, and today I'm joined by PR Week UK editor John Harrington. Hi, John. Hi, Frankie. And our special guest, Tom Simonson, Global Head of Growth at Grayling and Parent Group Accordance, and Mike Robb, co-founder at Boldspace. Thank you both for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hello. So we've interviewed a number of in-house leads on their views on the client-agency relationship. And this week, we wanted to turn the tables and ask agencies what they really want from clients and how they think they can best set up the relationship um, between clients and agencies for success. So big subject, lots of questions, guys, but let's just kind of kick. It's quite interesting to think about, you know, we've all been through so much. The industry has been through so much over um, the last couple of years. Do you think the client and agency relationship has evolved in the past 12 to 18 months? And I'm coming to you, Tom, here first with this question. Yeah, thank you. I I suppose as a starting point, I think the client agency relationship is probably as strong as it's ever been. And I was looking back at an article PR Week did about 10 years ago, or in fact, I think it was 10 years ago this month, about the client agency relationship in 2013. And it was quite depressing in a way. It felt that it was really transactional. Uh, It was on the back of a PRCA survey. And chemistry um, was really low rated. Relationships was really lowly rated. And instead, it seemed to be much more tactical, focused on delivery. So I think skip forward now to the interview series you've just done with that series of clients. And I think it was really heartening, a really big focus on client teams having a partnership with their agencies seeking external advisors, people who will challenge them, bring creativity, elevate their ideas. So I think as a starting point, I think we're in a really strong position. I think looking back over the last 18 months, you know, it's probably been as challenging an external environment as you could possibly ask for, whether it's inflation, whether it's geopolitical issues, whether it is um, sort of division in politics. 
you know, and and you know, most of all, the you know, some of the financial challenges businesses have faced. You know, I think considering that the agency relation, you know, are well, particularly looking at grailing and accordance relationships are in a really good place, and I think that comes because our teams. It was something that came up in in the questions you asked. Actually, was you know, one of the I think it was Jenny Pask spoke about clients needing to be really business minded and understand what drives growth for the business. And I think over the last 18 months, because our teams have understood what a client's going through, and so what of the work we do is going to drive the most growth for those businesses, and thus what's going to drive growth and, and fame for internal teams, we've been able to keep that relationship really strong. And I think that attitude is really important because I don't think the next 12 months are going to get any less challenging. We've got you know, I think the economic climate is going to continue to be difficult. We've got, you know, elections across the globe, which is going to be quite divisive. So I think you know, the relationship agencies have with clients is strong. I think it's going to continue to be tested. And that comes down to whether we have a true partnership with the clients we work with and, and where we do, it's going to be really successful. I think that really reflects back on a number of the themes we've discussed on the podcast over the last year, really about how the relationship has changed. You know, we've been through perma-crisis in so many different ways and that that shift in a much better relationship definitely seems to be coming through. Mike, would you would you agree? Is that also your perspective? Yeah, I would definitely agree with Tom. It's, it's quite difficult, I think, looking back at the 12 to 18 months. But if you do it longer term, 10 years ago, you can pick out many more things. We'll say the C word once, COVID. I think that was a big tipping point in terms of relationships and how things changed because getting through that crisis was like nothing any of us have ever experienced. And as Tom said, there are still ultimately many more challenges all clients are facing, but that did bring clients and agencies for me closer together. I think a lot of the challenges that have been talked about for a long time still remain though. Um, COVID-driven in many ways, looking to get maximum value out of the budgets they have and a lot of the economic challenges clients are facing, which obviously varies massively by industry and by size of client, that is still there and still present, um, as well as I think the same old conversation on, on showing value back to the client and particularly internally at clients. I think I've had more questions over the last 12 to 18 months, not so much on how we report and demonstrate value, but how the client's client sees that. And again, that's something that's always been around, but I think there's more of that now than there has been pre the last 12, 18 months. It's quite interesting that in terms of really looking at value and something that, you know, the industry as a whole has always struggled with, which is really demonstrating its value and and time being a really difficult measure of that value. Potentially, maybe we've seen a shift in relationships because actually agencies have been tested and actually they've been able to show their true colours during these very difficult times in terms of the consultancy and the value that they can extend. But therefore, do you think there is a shift away from time and a better way of demonstrating value that is setting the relationship up for a better future? I think time is always going to be important. I mean, we've got that kind of long-term debate that we shouldn't go into on timesheets and whether they're valuable and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the C-suite, the, the, the client's boss does not give a monkeys about how much time is being spent on the work. They need to see the value in a way that they can understand. And again, that might sound a bit old hat, but I think it's more true now than ever. And a lot of that is not actually about time. It's about cutting out all the stuff that is important from us as practitioners, but ultimately those people don't really care about. So it's, it's that process. And also this varies massively client by client. So it's understanding what will work on a given client, not having the same approach across all. I think those kind of things are, are things we've seen much more of. How do you set up your own client relationships for success? Do you have sort of things you will you will put in place sort of procedures to make sure that the relationships work well 
sort of from from the get-go, I, I suppose? Are there any sort of particular things you could point us towards? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I'd, I'd pick out three things. I mean, there's quite a long list of things I think you could talk around this. Um, but for me, good briefs is, is number one. Um, and I still think it's true that briefs can often be done quite quickly and without the sort of attention and detail required to get the best possible outcome. Um, and so I think clients asking agencies specifically what they need in a brief as well, because it's not always the same depending on what's required. Um, and even the agencies having set briefs they can give clients to make sure they get what they need. That that bit of it is fundamental. And I think it's true for both retained relationships, which should change every quarter anyway, in terms of the, the focus, but obviously, especially for any, any project activations. Um, secondly, collaboration. And ultimately, how do we get the best possible relationship with the client, regardless of what it is we're trying to do? Um, you know, it's a team game. It's a collective effort. Every client always asks for this in a pitch. How do we act as an extension of the team? And you know, obviously, that's everyone, something that everyone agency side would, I think, agree with. But it doesn't happen by accident. Um, you know, building relationships with something that needs to be to be focused on. Um, and finally, making sure the objectives are clear. And I think that's, again, almost so obvious as to be to be a cliche, but it is fundamental and making sure that everyone, both agency side and in-house, understands collectively what it is you're doing. And then obviously getting into what the agency is expected to be doing and, and, and how that's focused. And ultimately that transparency and how they work together is key. So making sure that there's that steer on how we're reporting against it, how it all works together, but really getting away from that agency client clash, which as Tom said earlier, I don't think is, is that common anymore, but you do still see it from time to time. Great. Thank you, Mike. Tom, what do you think? I agree with everything Mike said there. I think the only thing to add, particularly in the setup, is being able to have a process that fully brings the agency inside the business. I think great results come from great understanding and it came out in the interviews. I feel like agencies are doing more research than ever before on clients they're going to work with, but there's only so much knowledge you can build from the outside. Um, and where I think we set up really amazing client relationships is where the client's bring the team into the business. Maybe that's by meeting senior stakeholders, giving them access to uh, data. Maybe it's about if they're a manufacturing business or an infrastructure business, getting them on site to go and see how, you know, how projects work. Um, I think when, you know, when you see that happen, the teams instantly come away with an understanding that they wouldn't do in any other, you know, in another onboarding process. And that means when they're writing content, whether it's a political briefing or whether it's copy, their understanding of the business is so much higher. So rather than early in the process, you needing two or three drafts, teams really understand the client they're working with straight away. And I, I think the other thing, just to build on what Mike said, starting a relationship from a position of honesty and transparency, you know, both at the briefing point, also when we're discussing budgets, and also when we're discussing the expectations that are being set. Again, if you if you see a client start from a position where they bring you into the business, and they're transparent about what they, what they want, you usually can see that that relationship is going to be successful in the long term. So sadly, we do know that client relationships can still go wrong, don't we, sadly? And what would you say have been the sort of biggest trends when a client relationship goes wrong? What is it that's driving it typically? Mike, what would you say? So if I almost flip, flip that round, I've always said, you know, a good, good client relationship is fundamentally about A, 
do you enjoy working together as a group of people? And B, do you deliver on what it is you say you will? And that, again, sounds obvious. But those two things, if they're right, will lead to long-term success. And I do see them as pretty much equally important. You know, those relationships where it's only about the delivery and it's only about constantly getting the results that the, the client is, is paying for, and it's not about enjoying the journey, they're usually the ones that will end up badly because, you know, we all only live once and we want to enjoy, enjoy who we're working with. And I think that goes for both the business we're at, if you're a client or the agency at, if you're an agency, but equally how you work well together. So I think having an equal focus on how you drive those two things possibly or how you avoid it going wrong. Um, and at the same time, that leads into things like don't make excuses or be defensive if things do go wrong. You know, that, that level of collaboration and trust that comes out of those things, I think, is key. Um, and as Tom said, that transparency, I think, at the whole the whole point of a relationship, the whole way through um, is key and will will set you up for success. Tom, what would you say? No, I, I agree with everything Mike said there. And I think in the same way, when you don't get that partnership, issues like over-servicing or, you know, can't be addressed. I think when, you know, when when that element of partnership breaks down, all of the key factors that help maintain and grow a client relationship are really difficult to solve. Not all clients are the same though, as well in terms of their understanding and experience when it comes to actually running PR campaigns. And that can also be one of the challenges that you you could have an in-house professional and we've interviewed many of them here who are long in the tooth, really experienced, know how to really set up client relationships but there are also you know people coming in from a marketing background who don't necessarily have PR experience and setting that relationship up for success can be trickier would you agree Mike? Totally agree and I think that is where it's incumbent on the agency to properly understand the client Um, you know what do they know what don't they know because you know people have been in agencies long enough have worked with all sorts of clients with all sorts of backgrounds some clients have never used an agency before that's another challenge you know if you've never had to manage a relationship like this it's new it's different um you know how, how do you set it up in a way that it's not just a case of them telling us what to do and we deliver it and the client sits there waiting for it because if you get into that sort of relationship it does become a problem so i think it is incumbent on the agency in that scenario to properly understand that and work with them because everything's addressable it's only when you fail to address it quickly enough that it becomes a problem. And there's also sometimes we forget the simple things as well when we're just like actually just asking the client how they like to work, mm. what really matters to them. I mean, I always remember a Diageo client that I had who was literally like, please don't invite me to anything in the evening because I'm not interested. I want to go to the gym and actually have a life. Um, and actually, these are the things that I actually really care about. And actually, as long as you do those things, I can slightly live with some of the other stuff, you know, and actually just really understanding personally what that client cares about, I think is also key. Would you agree, Tom? Yeah, definitely. And I think that comes right from the very start of a process. If you approach a, you know, a new client relationship, a pitch from a kind of, you know, off the shelf perspective, it's going to be the same as it is with our other clients and other relationships. You're probably not going to win the work. And if you do, the relationship isn't going to get set up properly. Everyone, you know, and again, looking at some clients who might be multi-market as well, they've got, you know, I think that, you know, we've got every client relationship has to be set up in its own individual way. And I think you're right. The most, the most rewarding relationships we have are where a team, you know, a team has a kind of bond with the client team. They have fun with them, but the format that comes in might be very different. A client might, you know, want to be entertained. They might want to go out for lunch or they might just want to be challenged in a working environment, but you can't assume what that's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on from this question, uh, what are your client red lines? I mean, uh, I assume every agency must have these. Maybe it's 
weekend working sort of after hour emailing or you know being asked to do a pitch over the christmas period things like that what are, what are your red lines um mike don't to uh, go first yeah, sure. I mean, it's actually none of those for me. You know, the, the world doesn't stop when we leave the desk. And, you know, that's something that goes with agency life. Having said that, we've all had those clients who will be on at you out of hours without reason. You know, so if someone just has a, a, a form to call you every evening or email you at the weekends with clearly nothing being that important, that does become a problem over time and something to be addressed. But for me, it's much more about the long-term issues. So two key things I'd say. One, clients that are constantly unreasonable in their approach. And thankfully, I'd say this is a a very small minority, but they do exist, you know, changing objectives all the time or stretching what was agreed or delivered, but consistently. It's fine if it happens once or twice, but if it consistently happens, it's it's a problem and will ultimately lead to failure. And this is a really, the second one's a really small one. And and it goes down to sort of management 101. Internally, giving praise is one of the most important things you can do. Just saying, well done, great job to someone in your team is something that all good managers do without even thinking about it. Good clients do that as well with the agency. And when they do it, you see a ridiculous return in how the team feels about working with that client. So the, the clients that say on email or a shout out and a call, you know, that was great work. We're super happy with that. So it goes beyond it just being about a transactional relationship of I'm paying the fees and therefore I expect X, Y, and Z to happen. And that makes it much more personal. So that, that relationship that we've all talked about, for me, goes two ways. It's not just about the agency to the client. It, it really does add value if the client understands that the other way around. Great. Thank you. And Tom, what are your red lines? I definitely support the petition for no more pictures over Christmas. Yes. Be, um, <laughs> it's just not acceptable, is it? No, no, it's just, yeah, everyone deserves that bit of time off. I, 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 I agree with Mike. I think that an agency will always understand that some things are urgent, but when it's urgent every time, urgent loses its meaning. And I think that's when you start to get into that red line territory. I think the other thing I'd say is, the biggest red line is clients' respect for the people who work for us. You know, our, our biggest asset is our people. And if they're not motivated, if they're not enjoying their work, if they don't feel respected by the clients they're working with, you know, that that's hurting our biggest asset. And I think that's one area where, you know, there's a complete red line for the business. I know um, a while ago, actually, I was talking to, I was talking to Huntsworth about, sort of dropping clients and like abusive behavior. I remember um, your, your CEO would talk about abusive clients. I remember a while ago in a results chat and it sort of stuck with me actually that this is a very mature way of doing it. There's kind of, obviously you want to service clients, you want to give them what they want, but it it goes both both ways. And at some point you have to say enough is enough. Uh, and it, we're, you know, we're fortunate that it's not something that happens very often. You know, our, our teams have, you know, are really positive about the people they work with on the client side, but, you know, the idea of losing great staff because of a client relationship that, you know, is is demotivating them or is, you know, is, you know, it's actively, you know, is actively causing, you know, challenging, you know, their mental, that's, that's just a complete, you know, you've got to be able to take that decision and say that it's never, you know, that's not worth it. I agree with all of that. It is a challenge for particularly big agencies. I mean, the big agencies I've been at previously, having that conversation with my boss to say, I need to resign that six-figure account because the client is just thoroughly unpleasant and and the team hates working with them. It's incredibly difficult to do. Um, so I do think it's a challenge and, and the best agencies, whether it's, you know, it's easier for us and we've, we've actually resigned two clients since we, we launched for this very reason, but it is harder at bigger agencies. And I think the big agencies that will succeed are aware of that, like Tom talked about, and then take action about it. The other thing on the back of that is... When you get to that situation, 
that partnership model that you know Mike talked about before is clearly broken down. You know, if you can't, if if in some senses, once it's got to that stage, it's probably past the point of ever being recoverable because the the that sort of equal level of respect between the client and the agency is clearly broken if they're treating people in that way. It's different. I mean, we've all seen it though, haven't we? Those really, really big clients that seem to get away with a level of toxicity in their behavior because they're simply paying a very big check every month, right? And it's and it's really difficult. And, you know, I've definitely been inside agencies where they've actually had to put plans in where it's like, we're only going to put someone on for six months because the burnout on this is so high and Actually, sometimes if a client, if, if an agency approaches it with the mindset that they know that they can only make people work on a client for a certain period of time, then that is potentially a way around it. But that toxicity can just, you, you know what it's like when you put a new account manager and they're like, oh, no, I've been put on that client that I hear about in the pub everybody hates. You know, it, it can become an incredibly difficult problem. You know, it, it definitely is not an easy decision to make. The the challenge, you know, the, the thing is that you probably know that if a if a client agency relationship is in that position, revenue is probably not going to be in the business in a year's time anyway. And actually, so the much more commercial decision is to, is to is to be able to step away from it at the right time. So, thinking about you know what clients might often get wrong unwittingly that actually if they could hear from an agency they were you know fly on the wall actually if you could really understand this is how our business works this is how it's best to engage with us what, what do you think the things are that clients are possibly not quite understanding i mean one example i i would give that i often feel with clients is that sometimes there is that sense that a client believes simply because they're paying you a monthly retainer that you're available to them every hour of every minute of every day. And sometimes that can set up a really uncomfortable relationship in terms of how fast emails need to be responded to, how fast a brief would need to be responded to. And sometimes I think the smaller clients can actually be the harder ones, can't they? Because they're not necessarily... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Really understanding what it is they're buying and therefore the level of client service that they should have access to. I'd, I'd agree with that as one example. I mean, another one I've got is agency side. We don't know what we don't know. And often there's a, there's a, a, an expectation that we know exactly what's in the client's head. And that comes down to things like understanding their internal pressures, understanding the, the, the internal politics, understanding where there's certain things happening in a business that we would have absolutely no idea about because we haven't been told it. So I think that that constant communication and sharing, not just of things that are happening in a business that can help us do our, our job better, but the pressures they, they really face. And, and again, that's something that the agency can help 
manage and, and create ways of getting that out of a client. But I think the more clients come into a relationship thinking, you know what, I'm going to be very open and share the pressures I'm under, the things that are going on in the business that you wouldn't know about, that that is ultimately a key thing to making sure things work. Which is back to your points really around transparency, the onboarding process. And if all of that stuff is really well done at the beginning, it can make a massive difference. Out of interest, Mike, do you sort of set up a proper onboarding process that happens in those first three months with a proper structure and a schedule and so forth that you follow? Yeah, we do. So we, we, we actually set up over a year. So we've got the kind of the key things that have to happen in three months, but then what are the key milestones thereafter? I mean, our chairman, who was CEO of BBH in the advertising world for a while, he, he is very passionate about your relationship will live and die in the first 30 days. He's not even about the three months. So how can you really kind of pack that first 30 days full of everything you could possibly need because after you get out of those 30 days you need to be delivering um you know so to tom's point earlier on how can you as quickly as possible get into the business uh, not just on a, an hour induction call with a client but as he said speaking to the, the, the stakeholders getting to see the products all, all that kind of stuff um and making sure that everything's set up once you get to the end of that first month tom also any thoughts from you in terms of what clients unwittingly may get wrong in terms of setting the relationship up I think coming back to something Mike talked about briefly before around the briefing process, you know, we have a lot of conversations with clients that, you know, it's all about the business objectives and the outcomes. And then we still see a lot of briefs that just list sort of tactical outputs. And then I think that means, you know, if you if you get into that relationship, you're delivering work that perhaps isn't delivering the success the client hoped it would. But that's because, you know, right from the starting point, it's been focused on the number of outputs they want, not actually what do they want to achieve. And then having a conversation with the agency about what can get there. I think the other, I think the other area, you know, is still around budgets and briefs. You know, I still think it feels like we see, you know, more than ever, you know, quite big briefs that haven't got a budget attached. And so it's a real guess, you know, it's guesswork for agencies. I mean, in some cases, that is a red line, isn't it? That we won't we won't respond to that brief unless it's actually got a budget attached to it. Uh, and I definitely, I think in I'd say in continental Europe, it fe- that's something we see even more. And it's you know, it's just a guessing game. Are we, it's insane. You know, are we, you know, are we, and, and particularly if you if you still have a you know a tissue call or a chemistry call, and you ask the question, well, what's the budget for the work we're going to deliver? I'm not going to tell you. Well. Do you, want a, do you want a big, all-encompassing integrated campaign? Do you want one press release? Do you want some monitoring? Do you want? And I think actually there is also a point around the budget piece, which comes to what we've both talked about, which is, you know, agencies getting on re- under the skin of clients, bringing junior staff and senior staff to calls. You know, actually people being investing the time in in understanding the business that also costs money too. And, you know, if a budget is really line item delivery, is really line item focused, then the team isn't going to be able to get under the skin. And actually, you know, I think agencies and clients need to be able to have an honest conversation that, you know, building that level of understanding does come at a cost. But over the life of relationship, it will be commercial for both parties because the people who work on it will understand the work better. They'll do better work and will get more results. The challenge there is incre- is obviously procurement, right? In terms of setting that relationship up and making sure that, you know, people are, they'll be like, well, that's down to you in terms of, you know, you investing in our relationship. I mean, I can practically hear it now. It's it's really difficult to get that kind of stuff budgeted, isn't it? I do think that, you know, and this is, you know, someone, you know, sort of three years in a or two, three years in a new business role, actually the relationship with procurement is so important. And I think that, 
on that transparency point, you know, agencies being able to, you know, particularly on the bigger clients where you might have um, framework relationships or you have ever expanding relationships, being able to have like a, an ongoing discussion with procurement is so important because it used to feel like a real them and us, but it does in some areas where you see procurement teams are really open to working with agencies. It can be transformative for that point in terms of, and it comes down to, again, you know, how many firms you see that, you know, commit planning budgets to develop really good work, you know, and that, that's just the sign of a, a client and a team that are really committed to helping their agency, you know, develop great ideas and and, and really get under the skin of, of their work. Mike? Well, I, th- I think back to your point earlier, Frankie, around where internal skill sets are. I remember when I was in-house at Betfair or 15, 16 years ago now, there was an agency process going on where they were all asking what the budget was. And we said, let's tell them that it's this. But the, the stakeholder who ultimately held the budget didn't understand PR. And they said, well, if we tell them it's 250K, guess what? All the proposals are going to come in at 250K. Um, and almost seeing that as a negative, as opposed to, whereas I turn around and say, well, yeah, of course they are, because that's what we're willing to put to it, to do the work and make it as big and great as possible. Um, and I suspect with zero evidence at all that that may well still be the case in a lot of clients today. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of actually really the skill is really creating an amazing program for the budget you've been given. And it's just a slightly weird psychology, isn't it, that clients have still, unfortunately, still got. And that would assume that the, you know, the five or six proposals they got for that 250k budget, they couldn't compare, you know, you can compare value for money, you can compare Absolutely. the outcomes they're going to deliver, you can compare the idea that, you know, if you tell them the budget, five agencies are going to probably come up with the exact same thing, all try and make the most. That, that feels, it doesn't make sense no. at all, does it? No. How big an issue do you think over-servicing is these days? And will the industry ever successfully address it? Um, Mike, what, what do you think? I was really hoping you'd come to me first. Um, yes, I mean, it is still an issue, but yes, it has been an issue probably since before I was born. Um, will the agents, uh, will the industry rather ever address it? Um, I, I honestly think we're getting better at it because it's, it's becoming easier to do. Um, but ultimately, I think this comes in, into a bigger thing around clients need to understand the agencies are businesses as well. And we are we are running these businesses in a way that we can pay our staff, give them pay rises, hire the best talent, and do all those things that ultimately makes the work better for them. And that's where over-servicing is so important. I do think that some clients think that us talking about over-servicing on the agency side is just about how do we eke out every last pound from that client to maximize what we're getting. But it's actually not about that because over-servicing is a negative for every single client, even if they're not aware that it's affecting them. Because over-servicing one client is affecting another. Um, and again, that may not be something they realize, but for me, I think that that kind of understanding of what the impact on the actual work is could be much better client side. Interesting. Uh, Tom, what do you think? Pretty much agree with everything Mike said there. I am, um, I think over-servicing will probably always be a fact of any kind of consultative relationship. The big question is, is it being addressed or not? And I think where, you know, you look at clients that it's a consistent problem, that's what really worries you. I think it is getting better, and but it's still a massive concern. It also comes down to the training 
that I think teams also get and the relationship, how they manage the relationship around over-servicing. So actually having the client person having the conversation about money isn't always the best thing. And actually, if we looked at our advertising colleagues, they definitely split certain roles from each other so that those sorts of things don't start to affect each other. So actually let the finance team to a certain extent lean in on some of the financial and the over-servicing stuff while you're protecting the client relationship on the other side. And also, the other really hard thing, I think, is really enabling consultancy, um, well, members of the team to be able to figure out when they can say yes and when they can say no. And that scope creep that often happens is because actually you're trying to deliver amazing client service, but kind of setting yourself up for a fall. And additionally, alongside that, and this is definitely something that's true of consumer, I would say, is that when you're developing really, uh, you know, innovative, new creative ideas that have never been done before, actually... It, it can be incredibly hard to budget up front sometimes what those ideas are actually going to look like once you finally produce them. So there's a myriad of things that are driving that over-servicing piece that honestly you can't necessarily accommodate on a line-by-line budget at the beginning, can you? It's the same. I so it's reflecting back, you know, more on the corporate affairs side, say, a client, you know, if you've got someone who, you know, perhaps they're former journalists, they've got a you know really strong set of relationships, you know, the client is benefiting from sort of 10 years of that person's network, the insights, the relationship building to, you know, to gain insight about a sector that person's doing all the time. That's not billable work for a client, you know, and I think that comes down to that. If it's a if it's a line by line, price by time relationship, you're going to get those problems where you get clients that, you know, focus on value, the end product, what the team's going to achieve, then they get the benefit of that. But they also at the same time recognize that if a new team member comes on, it's going to take them a bit longer to get, you know, to, you know, to get working on the business and learn a writing style or to, you know, it's that, it's all about that, you know, is the focus on sort of value or is it on time? To that point, you know, managing time versus value. I mean, this is a really big question, but are clients really paying the right fees for the work that they're getting across the industry right now? And I'm sure it's going to be different in different sectors, actually. And, you know, a conversation that I will still have with many colleagues is that sometimes the five grand a month account sometimes is still okay, even though that was a big win, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So do we think really that agencies are recovering the right kind of cost from their clients? Mike? Yes, I would say. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think as, as long as you're set up internally and you've got the right systems, processes in place to estimate accurately, and that is not always the case. You know, I have been in agencies and worked with agencies where it's a little bit like, oh, that feels like a 30 grand project. Let's let's do that. Um, and whilst there are, I'm sure, many agency leaders that would never confess to that still being true, I suspect it probably is. But as long as you do have those processes in place to properly estimate, um, then you should be in the right place and then track it properly. And, and without, again, getting into a debate around whether timesheets are a good or a bad thing, I think if you use them properly and regularly and act on it, then they can be. Tom, would you agree? And I think picking up on your, your you mentioned earlier around planning fees, I think one of the biggest issues that we often see is that it's hard to recover as much senior time when it comes to mentoring the team, uh, problem solving and strategically developing the right campaign. You know, sometimes it's just sort of sort of expected that that will all just happen. Would you agree? I think we could probably do an hour on this question alone. Yeah. We'd still have a few bits to, you know, we'd still have ground to cover. I agree with Mike. I, I, you know, I do think clients you know, do properly fund work. I think 
the most sort of impressive clients and client relationships are where they, you know, as soon as they, you know, they value the additional expertise that can be brought in. So if they've got an internal comms challenge or a digital challenge or a crisis project, or, you know, they want some support in one of our international markets, you know, the people who understand that that is, you know, instantly understand that that's out of scope and value, you know, investing in that so you can get the right people on it. And we see that a lot. There are also times when we perhaps see that people, you know, and it's and it's understandable that we will introduce new experts to, you know, to to add a range of you know knowledge to our services. But I, I think it's really important that you know clients are willing to pay for that expert support they need. I think on the I think on the you know the planning time piece and the, yeah, oh, we want to invest senior time. We want to invest our best people in in helping to develop campaigns and. You know, advise, and I, I think on the whole, you know, our biggest clients understand that that's something that needs to be paid for. I think what I, what I would, you know, I think we want to dedicate our best, um, you know, our senior team to it. We just need to make sure that that is done in a way that's still commercial for us. And I think that's where agencies are really diversified now, haven't they? With planning functions, creative functions, you know, specialist functions that sit at the centre, and that's definitely evolved. I think in terms of the way that agencies are needing to structure their fees. Moving from fees to, to payment terms, um, it's something we've heard of quite a lot recently, but particularly as times are tough, clients are taking longer to pay. Um, do you think this problem is is getting worse? Probably. Uh, it's probably less of an issue for a bigger network agency like ourselves. But I, you know, considering the economic climate, I would be really concerned for, you know, smaller startup agencies you know, if, with that issue, but it's not something that is front and center for us. Yeah, Mike, what's your experience been? Well, I mean, I've got a very different perspective on how passionate I am about cash flow than I did when I was uh, duly employed. Um, and, and you know, th- this general topic is a big issue. I mean, I think payment terms are, are pretty standard; they've stayed the same in the UK anyway. You know, thirty days as most clients. It does vary massively around the world. You know, we've got a couple of clients in Dubai where it's sixty, and that seems to be the standard. So it does vary in terms of where you're doing the work. But the much bigger issue here, I think, is about clients actually paying to those terms. Um, you know, this is a massive issue getting paid on time. Um, and again, not something I've been typically used to before now. Um, and there's also no pattern as to who pays on time and who doesn't. It's not the case that big companies pay on time and small ones don't. It, it really does does vary. Um, and to Tom's point, whilst I think it has been an issue for a long time, it is more important than ever right now, given the world we're in. I mean, the news that PR Week reported on what a month ago or so around Talker Taylor and a big issue that they had was around late payments. I mean, I don't know that agency other than the work they've done, but the fact that that contributed to that agency failing is criminal. And and that is incumbent on clients as much as anything else. Because quite often, whenever we have late, in, late, late payments, it's often not the client's fault, it'll be the finance team's fault. But again, back to my in-house days, I was often putting the admin to the bottom of the list, so setting up that PO or setting up the supplier on the finance systems, and that that stuff really does have have an impact. So, look, I do think this is a massive issue. It's worse now than it has been in the four years we've been running Bold Space, and I think clients can do a heck of a lot to help the relationship by getting that stuff right. I'm really amazed that you think 30 days is common, Mike, because I could list a number of household brands, FTSE 100s, that are now on 60 and 90 day payment terms, also working with quite small consultancies, actually, who are having to depend on debtor financing and so forth so that they can manage a decent cash flow. And for me, that just doesn't seem right. We'd say no. 
Like right. we, we don't have a single client on, on higher than 30 days. We've got a lot of clients on 14 days. That's our standard. And the number of times that they just don't say no to that is is incredible. Um, and if, if someone in the UK asks us for 60 days, we, we would say no. Would, would you advise other agencies to be sort of uh, more willing to push back at clients that demand these things? And do you think there's an element of clients, you know, sort of calling clients bluff in a way? Maybe that's a bit too strong, but... Do you think that there's more room for negotiation than maybe the clients make out? Yeah, I think so. Um, and and you know, part of the reason we put in 14 days is that you usually end up at 30. You know, so it's little things like that 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 I think can help. And ultimately, if you don't ask, don't get. And it is a point of negotiation, so it's not just about the fee; it's about the terms around the fee as well. Um, and I do think that the agencies can do more on this. And also, just not around the fees; it's also around the costs, especially if you're buying in really high costs in advance for. A client, then really making sure that there's good terms around that because that can just kill an agency. Um, just on to a sort of final, final couple of questions, I think, really, which is um, just a very quick one around: Do we? Do you both feel that there's any issues around clients potentially poaching staff, and do you sort of have that sort of thing written into your contracts? I don't think it is a big issue, no. or it's not. But and again, you know that point. You know, you're sort of proud of your people; they're very good. If they're being poached, that's quite a good thing. You know, you accept that people aren't going to work with us forever. And, you know, if it's the right time for them to move on, if it's to a client, that could be a really good thing. If it happens a few times with the same client, then there's a problem. And I think that's when it needs to be. And I've and I've certainly seen in agencies where that has happened. Um, and so, you know, that's where you want to look at it contractually. But it doesn't feel like it's a big issue for us at the moment. Mike, what would you say? Yeah, no, I'd agree. It, it's not not an issue that we we see as a big one. I've seen it a lot um, in my career, particularly with specialist teams. So clients hiring hiring specialists, particularly subject matter specialists rather than channel specialists. Um, but I don't think it's a huge issue. Having said that, we do include a clause in the contract that's essentially you know a recruitment agency style percentage of a salary if if in the event that happens. So you've got that little added protection against that happening. I'm going to move on to the final question. Um, what one piece of advice would you give to in-house comms leaders to make agencies happy? Tom, would you like to go first? Uh, I think coming back to what we started with, I, I think really try and bring agencies into the business. I think the time invested in helping them understand the client, the, the work that's being done, as you said, the product, visiting sites, getting access to data, senior leadership, I think that has an exponential impact on the ability of agencies to deliver really great work. And then I think on the back of that, there is nothing that both parties, I think, find more rewarding than a relationship where both where actually teams can have fun with their clients. I think when you look around the office at the most motivated teams, it's where they really have fun, both in the work they do, but also maybe socially as well. So I think that's you know, that's probably the one recommendation that can get to the, the end goal we, everyone wants. Great. And Mike? Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. And I'd, I'd just add back to that point around transparency and honesty. You know, clients saying how it is in the right way, you know, being honest and upfront with each other about how things are going, giving honest feedback, not sugarcoating it again in the right way, saying when you're not happy, don't let things build up over time, you know, making sure that all of that is in place on a, on a constant basis from the very beginning. That for me is a healthier relationship. Great. So I think that brings us to the end of the show. Mike, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. John, as ever, thank you. Um, and thank you to everyone um, that's been listening. We'll look forward to you joining us next time.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 